Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. When you don't have a clear curriculum for your classroom, it is so overwhelming to try to put that together yourself. Spending hours on Pinterest and Google, pulling worksheets and pulling pieces of curriculum together to make something that works for your classroom. That's why we created the Autism Helper Curriculum and now offer Curriculum Access. Curriculum Access gets you access to all levels and all subjects of the highly differentiated evidence-based Autism Helper Curriculum. You can have students working on letter identification and working on parts of speech at the same time in our easy-to-use curriculum. We currently have hundreds of teachers using Curriculum Access from all over the world with consistently rave reviews. I want you to join that group of teachers. Now is the time to ask your administrators for curriculum access. We have an email template ready to go so you can ask them to set up a demo. Your administrators can jump on a live call with our team members to see everything that's included in the Autism Helper curriculum access. Next year, let's reduce the overwhelm. Let's start the year out with a path and a plan and resources to meet all the diverse needs of your students. Let's make next year the year of curriculum access. Head over to the show notes to learn more. Hi, I'm Sasha Long, special ed teacher and board certified behavior analyst. Welcome to the Autism Helper Podcast. I'm here to explore different strategies to improve the lives of individuals with autism. Welcome back to the Autism Helper Podcast. I am so excited to share this episode with you on practical functional assessment and the skills-based treatment approach. This is Dr. Greg Hanley's whole system and process. And the first time I went to his workshop, I was absolutely hooked. I, I had a light bulb moment. Everything clicked. Everything made sense. Today, I'm talking to Erica Vogt, who is a special education teacher and current behavior consultant, about how she uses PFA and SBT within the school setting. Erica does an amazing job explaining this whole process, which can be a little complex, but behavior is complex. She breaks it down really nicely and talks about how she got started with PFA, how this looks in a school setting, and how she gets staff buy-in. So if this is brand new to you, I cannot wait for you to learn all about PFA and SBT, and I encourage you to go to Dr. Hanley's website. I'm going to link all of those in the show notes to learn more about this process. Hi, Erica. Thank you so much for joining me. Hi, thanks for having me. So I am really excited to have our first episode on practical functional assessment, and I have a few episodes scheduled to talk about this, but I think you are a great person to intro this topic and really get into what PFA is. So for those that have never heard of practical functional assessment, can you give kind of an overview of what it is? Yeah, so practical functional assessment is a dignified and safe and effective means of understanding challenging behavior and why it occurs. So it's a two-part process. 
Um, so the, the beginning of the process, you conduct an open-ended interview with adults who have strong relationships with the individual that's exhibiting the challenging behavior. Um, and that helps you to gain a really personalized understanding of um, when the behavior is occurring, um, the different contexts that it may be occurring in, and what context that the behavior is not occurring in. The second part of the practical functional assessment is the ISCA. And the ISCA is a contingency analysis where we set up what would be the perfect day or what we call synthesized reinforcement. So we bring in all of those things that we know somebody absolutely loves and enjoys. Um, theoretically, in this context, there is a lack of problem behavior because they have everything that they want and need. So once we know, once we've designed a perfect reinforcement context um, and we see the individual in a state of happy, relaxed and engaged for a period of time, then we can start to uh, assess the problem behavior. So we, we put in some evocative situations that are likely to cause that escalation of problem behavior. And so once we see an escalation of problem behavior um, at those very low level behaviors or precursors, we return right back to the reinforcement context. So this allows us to confirm that the reinforcement context was accurate. So we know all of the things that can keep that person happy, relaxed and engaged. And then we also know what types of situations might evoke that problem behavior. That was an amazing summary in like 90 seconds. So great work. I think Dr. Hanley would be proud. <laughs> that was that was Thanks. awesome. Um, so big picture, how does this process look different than other common assessments that are used in the ABA world? What's kind of different about this whole setup? So when I think about this question, uh, my mind goes right to a traditional functional assessment. Um, and, and the Big, biggest difference between the traditional functional assessment and the practical functional assessment is that the practical functional assessment helps to determine the synthesized contingencies that are maintaining the problem behavior. So when I say the synthesized contingencies that maintain problem behavior, what I'm referring to is sometimes somebody may engage in problem behavior to gain attention but then they also utilize that same problem behavior to gain access to their preferred items or activities. So when you're conducting something like a traditional functional assessment, it can be hard to isolate those individual contingencies because and identify what's maintaining that problem behavior because those events on their own, those contingencies on their own may not be evocative enough to um, escalate that problem behavior. Yeah, that's a great answer. And I think when I learned about a functional assessment when I was in grad school and I was, you know, currently a public school teacher, it was hard for me to even totally wrap my brain around that because I saw firsthand, like anecdotally, that behaviors occur for multiple functions. It doesn't fit so nicely and neatly in like, this is attention and this is escape. Yeah. And it can be really challenging too. I, I've conducted some functional assessments before and I've found you know, that I've had inconclusive results. And then it doesn't help me then to support that individual in creating effective interventions if I have no idea why the problem behavior is occurring. Yeah, exactly. 
Okay, kind of going back to your overall summary of what practical functional assessment is, can we touch talk a little bit more about that interview process and what kinds of things you're asking parents, caregivers, teachers, paraprofessionals in that interview process? Yeah, so the that open-ended interview is a really nice interview where you're meeting with like I said before, a group of people that know the individual very well and have a good relationship with them. Um, and in my experience, um, I have not included the individual in that process, but a lot of the individuals that I work with um, are nonverbal um, or don't communicate verbally effectively. Um, and so what's really nice about it is you get to sit down with all of these people that know this person very well and have very strong relationships with them. You get to learn about what they love about the person. You get to know about what that person loves and what they hold as very important to them. Um, and then you also get to find out from the people that work directly with that individual, what are some areas that that may trigger that problem behavior and what I have noticed is in doing a lot of these open-ended interviews that I see a lot of consistent answers, which really then leads me back to that synthesized contingency um, process and that, that um, synth synthesized contingency analysis, where um, when I'm talking with parents, grandparents, teachers, parapros, um, I'm finding that the individual may engage in a lot of the same problem behaviors in a lot of different contexts. And what mm -hmm. I tend to hear a lot is when I say, why do you think this person is engaging in the problem behavior? I get the answer of, well, they want their way. Mm -hmm. And yet, so that means, you know, it has that multiple function, multiple components, which other assessments may not fully address. And what I love about, you know, when you're talking about the interview and, and talking with grandparents and paraprofessionals and all these different people, I actually did an interview yesterday with a BCBA and we were talking about, you know, the role of a consultant and the BCBA coming in and how sometimes teachers, it rubs them the wrong way that, you know, the BCBA or the behavior consultant comes in and tells me what to do. But when we start this process, it's really switching gears here. It's, hey, we're starting coming to you, the parent, the teacher, the, the paraprofessional, as the expert on this child. So it right away develops this really nice kind of team collaborative relationship versus maybe a more traditional like consulting model that has been happening. Absolutely. And I think, I think that also helps a lot with the buy-in too of the intervention is when you know, the caregivers, the teachers, the parents are, are hearing you listening mm -hmm. and continuing this conversation about the challenging behaviors that, that their son, daughter, student are experiencing and engaging in, they feel heard and then they're willing to try something different. Yeah, exactly. It's that being heard piece. I think so many teachers and paraprofessionals, they just don't feel heard. So if we can really acknowledge what they're saying and, and that is taking an active role in our interventions, yeah, you're right. That buy-in piece is right there right away. Yeah. And we talk a lot about how this is a very dignified approach. And when I when in this conversation right now, I think of it as not only dignified for the individual that we're working with, but also for those people that know that student very well. Yeah, that's true. Because they're they're like a key player versus like just taking in that information that someone's giving them. Yes. So I know you have a lot of experience with PFA. What did, what does your experience overall look like and how did you kind of get started utilizing these assessments in schools? 
Yeah. So back in 2019, um, I was teaching in a center-based school with students with severe cognitive impairments and autism. Um, I had a pretty challenging um, class. There were a lot of dynamics going on in my classroom. And we were awarded a grant through Grand Valley State University's START program. And this grant was awarded to our entire building where we were going to be working with and learning more about practical functional analysis or practical functional assessment and skill-based treatment. And um, we submitted a list of several students and they picked three of the students that had the most challenging behavior to come and work with us um, with. And two of those students were mine in my classroom. And so I was able to attend a conference, a full day conference, um, where we invited caregivers and parents to attend as well so that they could get a better understanding of this intervention and treatment. And then the next day we had um, consultants from FTF come and join us in our school building and help us to design our first ISCA. And it was very eye-opening. It was nerve-wracking, but it was also <laughs> exhilarating. I was like, did you feel like you won the lottery? Because it's like, <laughs> especially you're like, oh my gosh, two of my kids. Yes, let's find like what's going to work. Yeah, it was kind of this um, balance of, oh yes, I'm, I have this extra support for two of my students that engage in very challenging behavior, but also the nervousness of this is not anything I, I understand, not anything that I know anything about. And how do I know this is going to work? Is this actually going to be beneficial or is this another school initiative? <laughs> True. <laughs> <laughs> so with that, I was um, very involved in the process. I had requested to be the lead implementer. Um, I've been told I didn't have to be because uh, it was a lot to put on a, a teacher's plate, but I felt very strongly that I wanted to be involved in my students' treatment, no matter what that looked like. And so I was trained to become a lead implementer with my students. Um, I helped to design the cab branches for them, and I worked very closely with our behavior consultant at the time. And we also worked with FTF as we, as we accepted that grant and they were working with us virtually. Um, and so I learned a lot and I made a lot of mistakes and I saw a lot of successes and it was pretty amazing. So then I continued in my role as a teacher um, and felt that it was imperative that we continued working on this intervention with the students in my class. And then um, two years ago, I was asked to step into the role of the behavior consultant position in our building. And when I did that, we had um, at that point expanded to some other students within our building and I was able to hop right in and help with supervision. Um, I completed the train the trainer pro train the trainer program with FTF, and I became a lead supervisor. I was working on conducting the PFAs. I was designing ISCAs. I was supervising uh, behavior technicians and para pros in running um, SBT. Amazing. Save big on brunch for mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. 
Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. So obviously you have seen firsthand the huge positive impact and successes you know, that PFA can really have and then leading to those successful interventions. And I know you can't give specific information on students, but overall, what did you see the success look like with within this program? Yeah, I saw some very incredible successes. Um, with one of my students in particular, um, there was a lot of very severe challenging behavior that led to multiple people being hurt, sent to the med centers, um, people out on workers' comp, and it was really messy. And there was just this time frame where we didn't know how to best support this student. And when we started running uh, SBT with this student, I was very nervous because I was worried about evoking that problem behavior because I had seen firsthand the severity of it. And we started working with this individual, um, and I just saw some immense progress. And then COVID happened. Of course, right? <laughs> yes. And we got shut down and we were shut down for months. And I, you know, working in a center-based school with students that are the most impacted in our entire county, I was really lost on how to service my students. And I ended up convincing the parents to allow us to try to continue to run SBT virtually with their child. And so they allowed for us to try it and the progress continued. And it was such an incredible feeling. And that I think was what really drove home for me that this process works, this intervention truly works. Because even when we weren't in person and we couldn't be delivering reinforcement in the same way that we had been before, we were still able to develop a reinforcement context that worked. And this was an individual who has some verbal language, but when we began running SBT with him, he didn't use that verbal language. Um, and so we offered him a, a Big Mac switch to say that he wanted his way. And we were trying very hard to pair that with the, the verbal, my way. And when we went virtual, he started vocalizing that he wanted his way and oh, he has never that. gone back. Yes. Oh. It's amazing. Oh my God. <laughs> this, we need like a, we need like a level two episode on not only running SBT, but running it virtually. That's so impressive. Yeah. It was a very unique situation and, and it was, I wasn't convinced that it would work, but again, that's what really drove home for me. You know, we started working on it in November of 2019 we started working on SBT with our students and it was March 2020 that we were shut down. So we had a very small amount of time and we were still learning in that whole process. So when I really saw, when I saw some of that progress happening prior to us getting shut down, I was impressed. But when I saw it, when I was able to make that progress virtually, it made a big difference. 
Yeah, you're like, okay, now I'm really sold. Okay, let's take yes. I this is that's such a great story. Um, so kind of taking a step back for a second. So following PFA, the practical functional assessment that you described, the next step is what you've been referencing, this SBT skills-based treatment. Can you explain and give kind of an overview of what that is? Yeah, so skill-based treatment is an individualized intervention that progressively teaches a variety of essential skills like communication, toleration relinquishing, and other contextually appropriate behaviors. And so it's a very systematic process and you're not progressing to the next skill to practice. You know, it's, it's very slowed down. So you're not practicing multiple skills at once um, throughout the entire process, but you're slowly building on the skills that you've taught. That's awesome. So can you explain a little bit, maybe a hypothetical example of what this could look like with a child? Yeah, so um, I have a student who engaged in a lot of self-injury, and it was very dangerous self-injury, and he was a pretty young guy. Um, and we we had a very hard time, you know, he was very, the sounds were very aversive to him, and it was very hard to create a context for him that was the perfect reinforcement context. Um, and we were able to find a space where we were able to bring him to a place of joy and see reduced problem behaviors. And so from there, we practiced slowly progressing um, some evocative situations for him. So adding a little bit of noise, some of our, you know, us speaking and then providing those denials that he's going to be done with this very highly preferred activity. And then teaching him to make a request to return back to that reinforcement context rather than engaging in problem behavior. So the way that skill-based treatment works is you're reinforcing lower level problem behaviors and then eventually you're reinforcing that communication in place of those low level behaviors. So it's just constantly teaching different replacement behaviors and then building on skills while we're in a place where we're happy, relaxed and engaged. That's a great example. And I loved um, that you pointed out that, yes, we're reinforcing those lower level behaviors. But so often that creates a much safer environment for students, especially in a school, in a public school kind of referencing what we were talking about earlier with the difference between, you know, a PFA and a functional assessment is a functional assessment is not safe to do in a public school setting. And I felt that like immediately when I learned about it, I was like, whoa, 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 we can't do this in a public school because it is allowing and evoking those extreme behaviors and allowing, you know, them to happen versus in a PFA SBT approach, we're really not hopefully getting to those extreme behaviors. Yes. And it's nice because you're learning how, you know, in a traditional functional assessment, you're, you're turning on that behavior. But I think in the PFA, it's nice because you're learning how to turn that behavior on, but then turn it right back off and you're yeah. not letting it get to that extreme, you know, crisis moment. Yes. I remember like my professor talking about, you know, oh, in like really extreme situations and in clinics, we get like hockey equipment to do an FA. And I was like, what, what am I supposed to do in public school? Like, we're lucky if we have CPI training, you know? So mm -hmm. yeah, it's, it's a much safer solution when it comes to aggression or self-injury and things like that. Well, that was a great example. I liked kind of visualizing what that looked like with that, with that student. Um, kind of speaking of this whole process in a school setting, 
obviously this is the, you know, the setting that you've done this in exclusively. And what are, how has that gone in a school setting? What are some of the things that go well and what are some of the challenges? Yeah. So I think, you know, the school setting can be a really nice place because we can create a very sterile environment. Um, If we are provided with the space and we have that support from our administration, we can create a sterile space where we're able to really control many environmental factors. But then with that being said, being in a school building, there's a lot of environmental factors that we can't control. Um, For example, I had talked about the young man that had a hard time with noise level. Well, when we were bringing him to the treatment space that we were able to, to completely create that synthesized reinforcement context for him, it was never truly a reinforcement context because there were other students in the classroom next door who were making noises. And while those noises were very quiet to us, they were very, very evocative to him. Mm. And so when I'm looking at, you know, there's, there's a lot more, a lot more people involved. Um, Just being, you know, I had, I've, I've run some um, SBT as a wandering SBT. So we're walking in the hallways with students, but that's not always the safest place to, Uh, to put in the EO because there's other students or other people involved in the hallways. And so it's not always the safest um, when you, you know, when you can't control all of those factors. Yeah. That's kind of the main thing with schools is there's just a lot outside of your control versus like a home or a clinic setting. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, obviously though, you've been able to overcome those challenges and still have this be really successful. Um, How have you overcome some of the challenges on getting staff buy-in or kind of referencing what we talked about earlier? Was that less of an issue when, since you had that interview component to start it off? Well, I personally, when I was, when I was introduced to SBT, I, you know, as a teacher, I was a little bit nervous and I think that really helped me to know how to talk to other teachers about what this will look like. So I think that that's been beneficial from my experience. Um, But I think really talking to staff and showing them that it works is a big uh, piece of that buy-in. And I know, you know, we've, we've had, we've worked with some staff that were very hesitant or very resistant to following the process the way that it was, but you know, what I've, what I've really done is sought out people who are very interested in trying new things and getting a little creative and then having them help support that implementation with the staff that haven't had that buy-in yet, because then they're able to see that somebody else bringing the joy and see how much fun it actually is to run the intervention and then realizing how safe it is. Yeah, that's a great strategy. So we're like pairing, you know, not too like, we're not putting too reluctant people together. We're putting someone that maybe already has had some of that buy-in with someone that hasn't. That's a great strategy. Yeah. And it's it's nice because within our building, we have a ton of buy-in because we have a lot of people who've been able to see those successes. So, you know, initially I think it was, it felt sort of like another school year initiative But once we were able to start utilizing it in the school building, it just trickled down and it came, it became contagious. And then everyone's like, wait, I want some of that too. And you're like, yes, you do. (laughs) Yes, exactly. 
So where do you recommend teachers or parents or clinicians go to learn more about PFA and SBT? Um, I would recommend looking right on the FTF website. They have some amazing on-demand courses. They have a lot of really great live courses as well. Um, anytime that I have any questions about um, any of the interventions, I go to that website or the Practical Functional Assessment website. Um, has a ton of resources and they have some free videos linked. They have links to the various uh, research articles that were created. And those are some of the best places to go. The other place um, would be the PFA SBT community Facebook page. And I know that that group has also created their own website with a variety of trainings um, and a lot of inner a lot of resources offered on that website as well. So those are some of the, the places that are my go-to when I'm looking for some additional support. Great. Yeah, I will link all three of those um, within the show notes. Well, thank you so much, Erica. You explained everything so well and gave such a thorough overview of this whole process, which is kind of complex. But when you think of that big picture view of really why it works, it does really make sense. So I appreciate you taking the time to ex explain things in detail to us. Yeah, thank you. All right, thanks so much. Thanks for listening to the Autism Helper podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to hear more, hit subscribe. It would mean a lot to me if you left some feedback. Whether I'm working one-on-one -on -one with a student, doing a podcast like this one, or presenting for a PD, my goal is always to provide as much value as I can. So your feedback really helps me make sure I'm doing just that. If you have other topics you'd like me to cover, leave in the feedback or message me on social media. You can follow me at The Autism Helper on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Pinterest. Or visit my website, theautismhelper.com. Thanks again for listening. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. Having the right resources for your classroom is essential to making sure your classroom is running smoothly. At the Autism Helper Shop, we have all of the resources you need to make sure you have the behavior, communication, and curriculum supports for your students. Within our shop, we have adapted books, task cards, resources aligned to the VB map and the ABLES, behavior plan flowcharts, data sheets, curriculum. Everything you need, whether you are an early childhood teacher or a high school teacher, we have all of the resources that will meet those students' needs. So head over to shop.theautismhelper.com to check out all of our resources.